There is. Welcome, we're ready? There is a block. It's actually in Lakewood. That. Chedush, right? Okay. (laughs) It's like a very simple block. It's one of like the oldest blocks in Lakewood. Very old time Lakewood people live there. All the houses on the block. Oh, very extremely simple. You know, the grass is worn down. The shrubs are not really growing too well. It has the, the aluminum siding with the old shutters. You go inside the houses, the old refrigerators, old cabinets. You've been in old houses, old, simple homes, creaky, old, simple homes. Anyhow, there was, there was someone, actually a Syrian, who moved to Lakewood. Now, normally when you move from Brooklyn to Lakewood... If a person, if it happens, you move to sort of a little far, far away to the new houses, a new big home. This person decided they want to live on that block. With a lot of rabbis on the block, they want to live on that block. So they bought one of these homes, and their house looks exactly the same like everybody else. And every day I'd walk to Yeshiva and see this house, and it looks, looks just like the others with the old shrubs and the worn down grass and the, the aluminum siding and the crickety porch. Like every other house. Anyhow, a few a little while ago, a few months ago, I was actually invited to a party at that house. And I walked inside the house, and I saw that it's the regular Syrian taste. Beautiful floors, granite counters, tiles in the kitchen, and mirrors. And it's a beautiful house with flowers. I said, wow, you're on the outside, the house looks so simple and old. And the inside of the house is gorgeous. We have parashiot, and this week's parasha is one of Shem. Parashat Shemini is a parasha that we almost never really delve into. Parashat Shemini usually falls out on around Pesach time, so we're too focused on the holiday, on the Seder. We don't really have too much time for a parasha that discusses primarily Kormanot and sacrifices. If you look at the beginning of the parasha, it discusses a goat and a sheep and you slaughter it and you sacrifice it and on and on and it doesn't look very very appealing to us in 2005 it looks like the old Korbanot Parashiot we read it in passing it looks simple and we basically move on this year we have the opportunity to delve into Parashat Shemini and actually when we did it and in preparation for this class when I did some analyzation on this parasha, and I actually walked inside the house, I saw that it was gorgeous. This week's parasha has some beautiful depth in it, even the beginning of the parasha that discusses sacrifices, don't worry, it won't be too heavy on the blood, but the part of the parasha, that even that portion of the parasha has some very beautiful depth and some very interesting insights for us. You ready? You ready to learn about Korbanot? And have it, I don't want to say in advance that it's going to be interesting. Hopefully, we're going to enjoy and have it interesting. You ready? Here we go. The parasha begins. It's on the eighth day. Let me give you, before I start, let me give you a little overview of what's happening here. They're inaugurating the Mishkan. Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who's sacrificing and, and being sort of in charge of this whole proceedings for seven days. On the eighth day is going to be the inauguration he calls Aharon. They're going to bring Aharon brings a specific sacrifice. The Jewish people bring a few sacrifices, and this great glorious day, the grand opening. Picture the grand opening of a store. The Havdil. This is the grand opening of the Mishkan. Okay. Yes, exactly. Opening day. 
opening day of the Mishkan, Aaron is there, the entire Jewish people are there. They bring their sacrifices, we're going to see who brings what. They bring their sacrifices, and then when it's all over, they, a fire comes down from heaven. And before a fire comes down from heaven, two boys, the two sons of Aaron, Nadav and Aviyu, come racing in. They say the halakha is, you're first supposed to make your own fire before you get a fire from heaven. They come racing in with their pan, with their self-made fire, put it on the Mizbeach, and a fire comes down from heaven, and it lands, it goes onto the Mizbeach, and it goes right through their nostrils, and into their bodies, and they're burnt to death. That's the story. This great, glorious, grand opening ends in tremendous tragedy. That's the story. Now we're going to do some analyzing. You ready? Here we go. First Pasuk says it's on the eighth day, Kara Moshe Laharon Ulbanab, Moshe calls Aharon and his children, which are the Kohanim, Ulizikne Yisrael, and the Jewish elders. What are the Jewish elders doing here? We don't hear too much about the Jewish elders. We, they don't seem to have a major role in the proceedings here. We're not going to hear another word about them in the rest of the parasha. What are they doing here? So Rashi tells us, he says, you know why the elders are here? Because Moshe wants to show them that everything that he's doing is according to the commandment of Hashem. So he wants the elders to be here. So you see Aharon, they're the rabbis, the elder rabbis. He says, I want you to see, I'm appointing Aharon. It's under the, it's under the guidance of Boreola. Good. Problem with that is that in the end, the story all along has been saying, and Rashi told us in last week's parasha clearly, that Moshe Rabbeinu made a point out of saying that it's from the commandment of Hashem. What do you have to repeat it for? Why do we have to bring the elders here again to show it again? What's the point of these elders? You got my question there? The Midrash says, here's why the elders were here. The elders were here because just like the Jewish people are like a bird. Just like a bird can't fly without wings, we can't fly without our elders and our leaders and our rabbis. Very nice. The only problem is the rabbis aren't doing anything. They're just here, and that's it. The rest is Moshe and Aaron bringing sacrifices and performing with the Kohanim. The elders have nothing to do with anything. Why are they here? Why do we need them here? Why do we have to show them that it's commanded from Hashem? They know that already. What's question number one is basically... Why? What are exactly? What are the elders doing here? Why, what does this mean? They're like birds. We're like birds. We need wings. What are they doing here? What's the point of the elders? That's number one. Number two is, it continues, and it's a, now a peculiar thing. Moshe Rabbeinu tells Aaron, You take a calf, for a sacrifice, and, a, and a, another sacrifice to me, and sacrifice in front of Hashem. And then, and then tell the Jewish people to bring their sacrifices. And Torah tells us what the sacrifices are. Moshe tells Aaron to tell the Jewish people to bring their sacrifices. Why? Why again? Why can't Moshe just tell the Jewish people straight, bring your sacrifice? Why does he have to make Aaron do this? I know these questions are not exactly the questions that you think about every day of the week. But these are important questions. I'm going to see the answers are quite interesting. And that's the, our second question is, what does he have to tell Aharon to tell the Jewish people to bring the sacrifice? Why can't Moshe Rabbeinu, God directed the Jewish people, tell them, bring your sacrifices. 
So we're going to answer these questions. We're going to answer them right away, actually. Okay? If you look in the Pasuk, Pasuk Bet and Pasuk Gimel, it says that Aharon brought a sacrifice. Then what was Aharon's sacrifice? An Egel, a calf. Okay? And if you look at the Jewish people's sacrifice, they first brought a Sirizim, and they also brought the Egel, they also brought a calf. Why is Aharon and the Jewish people bringing a calf? What's the answer? I'll give you one guess. Why they bring a calf? You can't answer. You got it in the class. What's the answer? Why they bring a calf? Why they bring an egel? As a kapara, as a sacrifice, as a kapara for the egel that they made, Aharon and the Jewish people made it together. That egel that was done when Moshe Rabbeinu, the, the golden calf, as a kapara for that golden calf, they're bringing this calf. Okay, good. That's what Ashi tells us. Very good. Let me give you some deeper meaning here. What happened when the egel happened? We gave a class on this. What was the cause of the egel? The cause of the Ego, we can remember we gave a class in the marriage class, we gave four different reasons. But in essence, what was sort of built up as seen to be from most of the commentaries, what seemed to have happened was the story in a nutshell was that the Jewish people were missing their leader. They didn't want a replacement for Hashem, they wanted a replacement as a leader. And some commentaries say that when they made the Ke'egel, they had totally, perfectly pure intentions. They wanted a leader, and in fact, some say it wasn't even wrong when they made the Egel itself. What happened? They ganged up, they wanted an Egel, they wanted a leader, they go to, to they try to make it Chur. One of the leaders of the Jewish people comes to the Jewish people, tells them to stop, they go and they murder Chur. Then Aaron tries to stop them and they go and they force Aaron, they tell him, if you don't allow us to do this Egel and don't help us partake in this, partake in the Egel, we're going to kill you too. And so Aaron follows. What happened here is the Jewish people did something that as some say, and many say, had good intentions. But they did it on their own. They were zealous. They were excited. Their leader was gone. There was chaos. They were excited to, to replace their leader, make a new person to represent them before Hashem. They went. They went to Chur. They killed him. They, they ran over Aaron practically. They're going to do exactly. They have zealous intentions. They're ready. They're going to go and they're going to do it with enthusiasm. They had good intentions. But they did it on their own. They did it with no guidance, no help, no leaders. And the result was devastating. That is one of the important mistakes of the ego. Is that lesson. Is that there are many times when we do things. Okay? Where we think it's good. We think we're the sham shamayim. We think it's the right thing to do. It's the right time to do it. We know how to perform it. We're going to start an organization. We're going to help people, one thing or another. And we say, we're going to do it. We have our own mind. We have common sense. Let's go ahead and do it. We don't need guidance. What do you need guidance? What do you need guidance for this for? It's obvious. We go and we do it. We're excited about it. We have enthusiasm. We go ahead and we do it without any guidance, without any leadership. One such story, it's a little bit of an off story, but it's a similar story. You ever heard of Stephen Wise? There's Stephen Wise. Stephen Wise was a Jew. Let me tell you, he's a Jew during the time of World War II. Okay, he's the opposite of the Eddie Jacobson. He was a Jew during World War II. He was friendly. He was very close friends with FDR. Okay, he was a Reformed Jew. And the rabbis of the time, you all have heard this, the rabbis of the time and the Jewish leaders of the time were trying to pressure FDR to bomb the railroads on the way to Auschwitz and the other concentration camps. It was easy, it was relatively easy, it was very close where the planes were flying. Anyhow, bomb the railroads, you'd save thousands of lives. Stephen Wise was FDR's closest friend, one of the closest Jew to FDR, 
And he kept saying, I'm not going in. The rabbis were kept pushing him, go in, go in, I'm not going in. I don't want to upset the apple cart. The Jewish people in America, we're in a foreign country. It's not our place. It's not our business. Let's not draw too much attention. Many people, many historians, Jewish historians and regular historians agree that Stephen Wise, if he wanted, had the power to have those railroads bombed. And he decided that it's not the right thing to do. We're not going to do it. I don't know if he was L'Shem Shemayim or not. I don't, can't go inside his head. But he did what he felt was right without any guidance, any leadership. You do something like that, and at times, the results can be, God forbid, disastrous. We have a system. Now, Jewish people, we have a system. We have rabbis, we have leaders. And in many cases, and almost all the time, the right thing to do is to follow them. Let me tell you a story from the Gemara in Ben Achot. Gemara tells us about a rabbi named Chanina. Chanina, it seems... Anyone doing Dafiyomi here? You're going to get to this Gemara. Are you doing it? Very good. You're going to get this Gemara in a month. In a month, you're going to get to the Dafiyomi. Okay, you're going to get to this Daf. There's a rabbi named Chanina. Chanina went from Eretz Israel and he went down to, went down to a foreign country. So Chanina is in this country and he starts to, he's a leader, he's a great rabbi, and he starts to make um, the months and set the years, and like this year is a leap year, he, just, he would set when it was a leap year, went to, went to make the Rosh Chodesh, he would set the calendar, the Jewish calendar. Something that's really not supposed to be done, hello, not really supposed to be done, outside of Eretz Yisrael. Two rabbis came down. Listen to this, two rabbis came down, one rabbi's name is Rabbi Yossi, the other one is a grandson of a rabbi named Zechariah. Two rabbis come down to Chanina's town. Hanina sees these two rabbis from the old country and he starts to proclaim in public, these two rabbis, they're great men, they served in the Beit HaMikdash, their ancestors served in the Beit HaMikdash, they're great people, great Tamidei Chachamim. Beautiful. Everyone's all excited about these two rabbis. What did you come here for? We came to study with you. Beautiful. Hanina sits down and he starts to study with these rabbis. Hanina says one halakha, something is mutar, or something is asur. They say, Mutat. He says something is pure. They say, impure. Hanina is like, what's going on here? I thought you came to study with me. He gets up and he says, these two people, they're nobodies. They're not rabbis, they're not great, they're not anything. The two rabbis told him, it's too late. You already told everyone how great we are, you can't take it back. So he's looking at them, he says, what are you doing here? What are you coming for? What's your purpose? He says, here's why. We came from Eretz Yisrael, and they told us, and they sent us, and they said that the months and the years, the months and the years are guided by the rabbis in Israel. Are guided by the rabbis in Israel. You have no permission to do it here. He says, what do you mean? I'm, I was one of the greatest rabbis in Israel. He says, that's true. When you end it, it makes noise. <laughs> this is a new one. Okay. Starting being Okay. He gets, okay, the rabbi gets, he says, we, you, were our, you were our leader in Israel. He says, but in Israel now, the leaders in Israel have got become great, and they're now leading the Jewish people, and they said, you have no permission to do it. He doesn't understand. He says, I told you, it's good. I think I did, actually. I'm glad you remember it. And then listen to what the rabbi said. So you say, okay, they don't like what he's doing. There's greater rabbis in Israel. They're supposed to do it. He's doing it on his own. Not such a great thing to do. They then sent the message. 
that any person that follows this man should go on top of the mountain and proclaim and make their own sacrifices and have their own um, instruments and sing to Hashem and proclaim we have no portion with Hashem. We're out of the Jewish people. We have nothing to do with Jewish people. If you want to follow Hanina and his ways, you want him to be your leader, you can leave us totally, have nothing to do with the Jewish people. You're on your own. This to me seems very dramatic. Okay, he did the Chodesh. He thinks he's great. Maybe he's a little greater than he is. Why is it such a big deal? The answer, again, is simple. The answer is that we as Jewish people, we have a system. We have we have leaders. We follow that system. I told you I was at the Siyum HaShas a few weeks ago, right? And we, there's a lot of thoughts you have sitting there for five hours listening to rabbis. You get a lot of thoughts in your head. So one of the things I was realized that you come here, you recognize. And in fact, I, this is my thought really. You see, there's a lot of speakers there. Okay? And they're speaking in English and then they're speaking Yiddish. And it seems the Yiddish ones for some reason go the longest. They just keep going and going. I think that in Yiddish there's no term for in conclusion. That's what I think. So it keeps going and going and going. And, okay, and I'm wondering, like, do we really have to have, you know, we have Rabbi Fran, he guns, he's a great speaker, everyone's inspired by him. What do we have to have all these other people speaking in Yiddish and long? And, and I said, you know what the reason is? Here's the reason. The reason is for every kid, every man in this crowd to realize our leaders are those people, whether they speak Yiddish, English, whether we understand them today or not, whether they're 85 years old and 90 years old, those are our leaders. See, I sit there for five hours and watch that dais and watch the great rabbis of this country and who are the greatest rabbis, who are our gedolei hador, who they're not. We follow and we're under their guidance. We don't do things entirely on our own. We don't come up with our own ideas that's how our Torah works. We work, we have a history of following our rabbis from generation to generation. That's the system of our Torah. And the mistake of the people with the Egel was getting up with a zealousness and excitement, even though it was L'Shem Shamayim, to go do their own thing. Now we're going to start the Mishkan. Okay? And the, for what this, this inaugural day is going to be a Kapara for that event. So what does Hashem do? What does Moshe Rabbeinu do? First thing he does is he brings the elders. He says, we're doing this under the guidance of the elders. Us, the Jewish people, our elders are our wings. The only way, just like a bird, when a bird wants to fly, he needs his wings. Without his wings, he can't fly. The Jewish people, you want to grow. This Mishkan is going to bring Hashem amongst us. We're going to connect to Hashem. The only way we can do it is with the guidance of our elders. Our elders are here, even though they're not saying a word. They're here because we're doing this under their guidance. They're our wings. If we're going to fly... If we're going to reach great heights, we're going to have the guidance of our elders. Why does he tell Aharon to be the one to command the Jewish people? So that this should be exactly the reverse of the Egel. What happened at the Egel? Like he said, what happened at the Egel? They killed Chura, they mowed down Aharon. They said, we're doing this. They told Aharon what to do. Today, when we're going to be mechaper for the Egel, Aharon is going to tell you what to do. That's what this event is. This event was a kapara for the ego. The great mistake of the ego was not their intentions. Their intentions may have been good, but it was how they went out, went forth with their intentions without any guidance. Gemara says, this is dramatic, and Gemara says a dramatic statement. Any person who says a halacha as posek a halacha in front of his rabbi, and he says the halacha instead of his rabbi, What's the decision? Hayav mita. 
little dramatic. The Gemara Hayamita means exactly. Yeah, you made oh, the motion exactly. Okay. Oh, okay. The Hayamita means death. Gemara tells us. Gemara tells a story of a rabbi named Rabbi Elazar. Rabbi Elazar was a rabbi, and he had a student. And someone came to ask a question, and the student jumped to answer the question. Rabbi Elazar turned to his wife. He says, "This is Gemaran Eruvin." He says, "I'll be surprised if this student makes it out to the end of the year." Sure enough, before the year was over, the student was dead. His wife turns to him and says, "Honey, you're a great rabbi. Are you, are you a prophet? Well, where'd you go? How do you know he's going to die?" He says, "I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I just know." Al-Hachamim says, someone who said Posek, in front of his rabbi, he's not going to live. Now, what kind of thing this sounds dramatic? It sounds a little overdone, wouldn't you say? To me, it's a little, you think it's a little overdone, right? I think, why does a person have to be killed? Why is it real outside? Like, why can't he just say, you know what, I'm going you, it's okay? He knows the man's going to die. The man is going to pass away because of him. Don't you think you go, if, if someone's going to pass, if you were insulted by someone, go tell him, you know what, I forgive you, it's okay. I, why would you want this, this terrible thing to have someone be punished because of you? He is a, a student's going to be punished because of Biel Azar? Gimara tells us another thing. You heard of Yoshua bin Nun. Yoshua is the son of a man named Nun. Nun. Very good. Who was Yoshua's son? Nobody. Nobody. Yoshua had no children. Gimara and Erovin again asks, why did he have no children? Gemara tells us because in the book of Bamidbar there were two prophets that were prophesizing in the, in the, amongst the Machaneh. Yoshua thought that it was a disrespect to his rabbi. Yoshua thought it was improper. And so when he heard the news, he jumped up in front of Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, kill them. Gemara says, you said a halakha <laughs> in front of your rabbi, no children. Which is like that. He, exactly, follow, exactly. Follow, I hear you, that's a good... But he followed this. He's doing this out of respect for his rabbi. He's telling them, he's saying, kill these people for your respect. Okay, he jumped. He was a little too excited. He jumped ahead of Moshe Rabbeinu. It, it blurted out, Hazit. Yoshua Benun, great man. Great man. He would be the second leader of our people. He's left no children because of that sin. Again, it sounds a little severe. over severe. The answer is, like we were telling you before. Our people have a system. We have Gidole Hador, we have rabbis, we have students, we have leaders, and we have people who follow those leaders. That is our job. Our job is at many, more, more often than not to be following those leaders. To be, to, if you mess up the system, even in a case where you're right, if you mess up the system, even when you're right, you can cause exactly the result can be chaotic. There are people who love, it seems, if Lashon Hara is something, seems to be very, um, how do you say, addictive. People love to talk Lashon Hara. But if Lashon Hara is like drugs, then Lashon Hara talking about rabbis is like ecstasy, ecstasy. It's, people love to talk about rabbis. It's the greatest thing, here we're on. It's the greatest thing. For some reason, it's the most fun thing in the world to sit around at a Shabbat table with your sons and your son-in-laws and your brothers and, and uncles and talk about rabbis, how he performed in the shul. This one did it because of his ego. The other one did it because of his money. They did it because they're in a fight. The rabbis in that shul, you hear what's going on today. We have rabbis in another shul. 
And it becomes the family discussion. Sometimes there could be some summers where every single Shabbat all people talk about is the Yankees and rabbis. That's it. It's right. You've been there. Not in my house. Not in your house. Very nice. And you know what? Besides the fact, besides the fact that almost every, besides the fact that most of our rabbis, okay, have are very much the Shem Shemaim, very devoted people, very devoted people. But when you sit in your house and all you discuss is rabbis and how they made a mistake and what they did wrong, what you're doing is you're breaking down that system. You're causing your children, your family to have no faith in that. You know what? If there's a rabbi that you really can't, you can't get along and can't understand anything he does, then move out. Exactly. Find a shul, find a rabbi that you have faith in and confidence in and talk to your family about that rabbi, about the greatest error. Don't worry about it. Half the 99.9% of the time we're talking about those rabbis. And as we have no impact on the situation. There's nothing we can do about it. We can't help or hurt. It's simply sports. It's just we have as much impact as we have on the Yankees playing the Mets. We have as much, no impact at all. But it's a sport. We like to talk about it. People talk about the Yankees. People talk about rabbis. If, again, what you cause is what? You hurt David. I hurt David. Okay, sorry. He doesn't do it. How was that? But it's only found out he had no input on the men. Okay. <laughs> okay, but but what you do is what you cause is you break down the system. The Gemara says that Yeshaya, when the Jewish people were sinning, and Yeshaya had to curse the people. Gemara says in in Chagigah that he gave a series of curses. Fourteen Gemara says eighteen curses he gave. He, Curse the people that you're, you won't have Tamidei Chachamim that know the Gemara. You won't have Tamidei Chachamim that know the Mishnah. You won't have Tamidei Chachamim that could come and ad- advise you properly. You won't have leader people who will be able to, to, to come before Hashem and there's the Chuyot will work for you before Hashem. One thing after another, one curse, so, called, so to speak, after another that he was cursing the Jewish people. Gemara says he did not find, this curse was not complete. Until he said, I don't have the pasuk in front of me, what's going to happen to the Jewish people is, is that the people, the followers, are going to overrun the leaders. Once he said that, that, once he made that curse, that curse was enough, then he knew the Jewish people are going to be totally de- destroyed. Then he knows, because then the system is entirely broken down. When the followers are entirely in charge of this, yes, our leaders today are not the same as they were 100 years ago. You know, I was sitting at that Siyum Ashas, and they show you a picture of the, of the deuses of, of 20, 30 years ago. And you look on that dais, and there's Moshe Feinstein, and there's Yaakov Kamenetsky, and Iron Cutler, and there's, right, even, and you look at me and say, we don't have, there's not rabbis today that are in that caliber. There aren't. There aren't. But you know what? As long, even if they're not perfect, but there's a system that we follow, and with a system that we follow, there's a guidance that we follow, it's something, it's a system that's in place that, you know what, if you ever had a problem, the person you're going to turn to, the person you'll be able to turn to, the person you want to be able to turn to is that rabbi. If God forbid you're having trouble with your child and you need to turn to the rabbi, you want that rabbi to be there, you want there to be a respect in your home for that rabbi, so that you can turn for him when you do need his guidance and when you do need his help, you'll have respect for him and he'll be there and he'll be able to help you. Because otherwise, if we break down the system, what we could cause is, God forbid, what happened in the Egel, we could cause chaos. That's why the Gemara says, yes, Chayamita. It's not just because you insulted the rabbi, it's because you broke down the system.
Look at the pasuk. The pasuk says we're going to go back to our story here. Okay, the pasuk says that the Jewish people in pasuk bet. Uh, sorry, pasuk gimel. It says the Jewish people. I don't bought his, his egel. Okay, for his chatat. The Jewish people bought before they bought the egel. They bought a seir izin. Seir izin is goat. Okay, is a goat. Why they bring a seir izin? We know why they brought the egel. We know why they brought the calf. The calf was a kapara for the golden calf. But what is this goat here for? This goat. The Jewish goat. people had to bring a goat. Aharon didn't bring a goat. Only the Jew, rest of the Jewish people brought a goat as a sacrifice. So al Chachamim tell us, because it's also a kapara. Kapara for the time when the ten tribes went ahead and sold Yosef. And after they sold him, they took his coat and they slaughtered a goat. And they took the coat and they dipped it in the blood as a kapara for that time when they slaughtered the goat and camouflaged it as if he was killed. And camouflaged it as if Yosef was killed. And they dipped his coat in the blood and they showed it to his father to show their father as if he was killed. We're going to do a kapara for that now. What? Exactly. The question is why. The timing seems to have nothing. I understand the egel. It just happened. One second. The, okay. But the egel happened a few months ago. The egg is a recent thing, it's a sin we just did. Why are we now, the one sin we're thinking about is the ten tribes. Why is now the first time, you say it's because this is the first time we had a Mishkan. It's the first time they had a holy place. Okay, to, to you know what, over. I hear that answer, I'm not telling you, one second, one I can't disagree with you fully, you want to say that this is now is the first time we had a Mishkan, that's why we did it, fine. But the Midrash tells us, I'm sorry, I want to continue, the Midrash tells us, that he is why. The, the Midrash just tells us that you started this sin, like we said, you started this sin, we have to, you did that sin, then we have to do a kapara. Now we need more explanations. Let me explain it to you. The answer is, it's exactly on par with what we're talking about. What happened, those ten tribes? They were also L'Shem Shamayim. The ten tribes sold their brother, it was L'Shem Shamayim. We've given classes on that. They had good reason, good intention. What they do? They did it without the counsel of their father. How they hide it from their father? They took their brother's coat and they dipped it in blood and they came to their father and they covered it up before their father because they're going to do this on their own with no guidance, no counsel. That's what he's now, that's the same type of sin and the same mistake that our people made at the Egel. And that's the same thing that we're doing at Kapara for now. That's why, that's why, one second, that's why, right here when they're starting the Mishkan, and do a kapara for the ego, kapara for that mistake of doing something zealous and excited without any guidance. They're going to do a kapara for the sale of Yosef, a kapara for that dipping in blood that was also done without any guidance from their elders, any guidance from the generation of the past. Let me give you a little news, business news. I don't know if you're aware of this. Do you know? Let me ask you a question, trivia question. Some of you people you are in business, let me ask you a question. Which brand name? is the most popular brand in the entire world. Which brand name is the most... What? Coke. Coke. That was my guess also. Coca-Cola. Any other guesses? Because your answer is wrong. The most popular brand name in the world in... What do you think is the most popular brand name in the world? What? Microsoft. What, McDonald's? No. Microsoft? Microsoft. No. No. What is it? No. What is it? McDonald's? No. Not McDonald's, not Procter & Gamble, not Coke, 
Not Pepsi, not General Motors. You want the answer? Not Walmart, not Nike. You ready for the answer? What? No, not Tootsie Roll. You ready for the answer? Not toothpaste, not Crest. You ready for it? No, Michael Jackson. That's quite good, but no. The most, no, Band Aid. No, here's the most popular and most famous brand name in the world is iPod. iPod most popular in the world. Really? Yes. No. This, this is true. Okay. One second. One second. I don't know. Listen. iPod right now. iPod in the world is very, very popular. Listen to me. Sony. Sony. Sony's been that ancient company of electronics. It's the mother of all electronic companies. I read a book recently from built a book about built about the greatest companies in the world, and Sony was one of their great examples. Boys, you want to disagree with me on the iPod thing? You could do it. But either way, Sony. Let me handle this now. Sony is now has been in very bad shape. Okay. Over the past the today, the five years, over their past five years, their stocks have gone down seventy-five percent. Okay. So, right. So what happened? This. What's the old Chinaman's name? What's his name? something. Exactly. A day. I know. ID. No, but Yuku or something like that. Okay, I can't pronounce a Japanese name to save my life. But that anyhow, and they got someone to replace him because basically this man, he was a legend. This, this CEO, but he basically, he's out of touch, right? The, the iPod killed him. iPod destroyed, yes. it destroyed Sony. And now Sony's trying to come up back with something. So they have a new CEO. His name is Howard Singer. You heard of this? Is hey, it Howard Stringer, he's a Jewish guy? Well, you know, it's funny. He runs this, he ran a section of Sony or said something to do with a section of Sony called BMG. What does that stand for? Oh, yeah, it's a music label. Yeah, what I come from, BMG stands yeah, for, yeah. Well, I don't think that's what it stands for. But, anyhow, but that, he was, he, so he came now, he's taking over the company. I don't know, only a, a few, two months ago, a month ago. Howard Stringer's taking over the company. He's the first American to run Sony. Why? Because it's time, they're going to, I heard that supposedly they're going to come up with a new PlayStation. It's gonna have music in it and and, and email and internet and and all kinds of games. It's gonna be okay. It just came out. It's their new hope. It's their new answer to iPod because how are they gonna be successful? How are they gonna be successful? They have to be in touch with 2008. Right? The only way to be able to create it is to be, right, they're going to be ahead of iPod. You have to have a CEO who's going to be ahead and right in touch with the times and is going to have, be able to almost be in the future. Short we stop. look, we look for leaders, we look for leaders and examples from the past. As Jews, we're not looking to be able to make a new PlayStation with a new, with a game, with the internet, with a cell phone, with a camera. We're looking to be able to imitate the past. The mistake of, a mistake of the, son, the, the, the sons of Yaakov, the mistake of the people by the Ege was their inability to take the guidance of the past. At the end of this story, in this week's parashah, what happens? Two sons of Aharon come and they bring... They try to bring their own fire. Why? Because they felt that you're not supposed to wait for the fire to come from Hashem. You're supposed to bring your own fire first. What was their sin? Look at Rashi. Rashi says, what was their sin? 
They were more halacha They made they posect halacha. They made their own halachic decision without asking Moshe and Aaron. Moshe and Aaron are here. You're supposed to wait for their decision. They get killed on the spot. Why here? Why now? Listen, let me talk for the rest of the way. Why here? Why now? The answer is because the entire point of this event, this great inaugural event was here that we're going to now show we take guidance from our leaders, we take the counsel of our leaders, and here's the sons of Aharon going and being forsake in place of Moshe Rabbeinu and taking their own initiative. They were right, they were excited. It was for L'Shem Shamayim 100%. But it was done on their own, without any guidance. And that's why they were killed. The lesson of this week's parasha, what you teach yourself and you teach your children, is the ability at times and often to take advice. It says with Shaul HaMelech, when Shaul was, was coming to, to, to become, when he was looking, his father sent him out to look for his donkeys. And they're looking for the donkeys, and they can't find the donkeys. And Shaul is Shaul's with a, a young like slave. And the slave tells him, why don't we go to the prophet? And Shaul says, because there was a prophet there, Shemuel, Shaul says, now nah, we can't go to the prophet, we don't have any food, we don't have anything to bring the prophet. To. Again, the slave says, no, we have something, I have some money, we'll bring something to the prophet, we'll go to the prophet. Finally, Shaul agrees to go to the prophet, he takes the advice of his slave, he goes to the prophet, the prophet shows them where their lost donkeys are, and the prophet also then, through this, eventually anoints Shaul HaMelech as the king of the Jewish people. Shaul HaMelech, the man who would be the king of the first king of our people, took advice from his little slave. Yes, the lesson over here is the ability to take advice, the ability to be guided. You know, people say, people are, many times you tell people to take advice, say, I don't want to be like those people who come to their rabbi and they leave their brains at the door. You ever hear that expression? Leave their brains at the door. As if people have a little eject button and out comes the brains, they leave it at the door and they come in and talk to their rabbi and they come out and I don't want to be a person who leaves their brains at the door. You know what? You shouldn't be a person who leaves their brains at the door. And you know what? You go to advice for a rabbi... Not that the rabbi is going to make your decision. You're supposed to, you're responsible for your decision after 120 years. You're going to have to answer for your decision. Nobody else, not the rabbi, nobody else, your decision that you made, you're going to be responsible for. And yes, it's your decision. But when we go to rabbis, we go to advice, go to rabbis to get that advice, to get that new perspective. Let me tell you a cute story of how a rabbi had a different perspective. There's a rabbi, he's the chief rabbi of Turkey. And I don't know if it was which world war. It was a, a war and the, the leader of the time, one of the governors. I heard this story from a man, Jackie Esses. You know Jackie Esses? He told yeah. me the story, okay? He told, yeah, exactly. He told me the story. He says, Look, says chief rabbi of... Yeah, married to Jackie Esses. Yeah, the chief rabbi of Turkey. Okay, so the, 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 the governor or whatever comes to him with a list of 50 Jewish boys that he wants to draft into the army. 50 boys, the rabbi takes the list and he knows, these boys going to the army, they're done. Their life is over and probably their religion is gone. In those days, they're taken at a very young age. It's disaster for these boys at their age, at their situation, to go into the army. He looks at the list of 50 boys and he turns to the governor. He says, you must have a mistake. There's something wrong with this list. He says, what do you mean? He says, everyone on this list is dead. He says, what are you talking about? He says, come, I'll show you. He takes this governor to the cemetery 
and he shows him all the boy's grandfathers. He says, look, here's a tombstone for Yosef, this one, and Yosef, tombstone for this one. Guy says, oh, I guess you're right, I'm going to go back. By the time he came back, the war was over. It was a new perspective. It was a situation where it looked, what are you going to do? And he had a new perspective. The rabbi had a new perspective, a new insight. Yes, I just recently had a decision to make. I want to discuss it with the rabbi. You know what? I was thinking about everything. I think I'm trying to be level-headed, common sense, Torah, guidance, and everything. He gave me a new perspective. It helped. You go to a rabbi, you, we get, that's our job. We're young. Our job is to get guidance from our leaders and guidance from our rabbis and establish that in the house. There's a saying that the Chachamim say in the, the rabbis, the rabbis of Musa say, I'm going to end with this. Every good horse needs a good job. Well, no, but, uh, needs a, a bit? needs a bit needs a needs a what do they call it a yoke? Every good horse needs reins. Every good wife needs a husband, and every good man and every wise man needs a little bit of advice. Yes, because just like a horse needs to be guided, it could be the strongest and greatest stallion of all time. It needs reins to be able to guide it. A wild woman could be a great woman, but she needs a husband to guide her. Every good man needs a little bit of advice and needs a little bit of guidance. That was the lesson that Moshe Rabbeinu was teaching us. Yes, this Parashat Shemini, we're lucky that this year is not on Pesach. We were able to see that house, that simple looking house, Parashat Shemini, just sacrifices. We're able to walk inside and see that this inaugural event of the Mishkan had in it deep, Insight, And it was actually a beautiful event. It was an event that would teach our people not to make the lesson that they made in the Egel. Not to make, sorry, not to make the mistake that they made at the Egel. Not to make the mistake that the sons of Yaakov made. And not to make the mistake that the sons of Aaron made. And that is that when we need help and we need guidance, we seek advice. Baruch Amen.